Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Tania Pina to the show. Tania Pina accepted her Bachelor of Science in Business Information Technology from the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University in 2006. She began her career in sustainability as a former student pursuing a Master's of Science degree at Columbia University prior to becoming the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Renewable Inc., a waste-to-resource company headquartered in New York City. A strong advocate for sustainable waste management, regenerative agriculture, and urban resilience, she has been involved in management and business development roles within the sustainability industry for 10 years. Her professional interests focus on using unique and distributed technologies to extract the optimal value from organic waste streams for upcycling into value-added products. Tania, how are you doing today? I'm well, Raj. Thank you for having me here. Tania, thank you for being on. Tania, where are you located? Uh, we're, lo- we're headquartered in New York City, but our facility is in upstate New York. And how's the weather up in New York? Uh, it's good. So it's, it's starting the onset of fall. Um, you know, temperatures usually average around low to mid sixties. So I, this is my, uh, favorite part of the year. Well, good for you. Enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. Every day you have to just kind of take appreciation. (laughs) Especially (laughs) after what New York has been through this year. Absolutely. I mean, the, the neighborhoods are certainly holding their own, but Manhattan has been a bit devastated, certainly after you go south or more downtown of, of Midtown. So yes, um, unfortunately, that is the case. Well, good for you. So Tania, I'd like to open the show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Um, I'm a very spiritual person in the sense that I, I, I really like being out in outdoors, um, doing a lot of grounding work or just being near nature. That's honestly a therapy in every sense of the way of the word for me. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of times where I've, I've had my own kind of reckoning with life and, and oftentimes I could, you know, navigate some really kind of pressing challenges, um, and nature provided the environment to do that. So I, I would say it, it not only has helped me be a, a great leader, and I know that's bias coming from me. Um, but I also think, you know, I, the same person that I am for the business and the people that I'm, you know, fortunate to work with, I'm also that same person to my family and friends. And I think if I can keep that consistency, it's because of who I am at my core. So if you don't mind, can you share more about your relationship with nature? Yeah, I, you know, I, for me, you know, there's, by the word of grounding, what I mean by that is, you know, you get, there's a simple exercise of taking off your shoes and going barefoot and just putting your feet in the soil and allowing yourself to kind of reset and take on the energy of the earth. And a lot of times, you know, people have premonitions or people have insights, whether it be for business or just for life, um, 
you know, in, in very kind of just like serendipitous ways. But a lot of times those instincts come to me when I'm in nature. And so whether it's being by water, uh, I, 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 it is a sense of free therapy. And there's actually a, a Japanese word for it. I can't remember it right now where it's um, the, the term is used to refer to called uh, forest therapy, essentially allowing yourself to be immersed in a forest setting. You know, there's, there are energetic influences that really helps people bring down their, their blood pressure, their cholesterol, and a number of other factors that don't require someone to ingest something. So I firmly come from the belief that, you know, we have a lot of tools in front of us through nature and through food um, when grown the right way to heal ourselves. And, and certainly nature is a, another conduit for that. You know, I so agree. And what you shared resonates deeply with me. I have plants in my house that I talk to quite often. And my, my kids always make fun of me because, you know, I tell them all the conversations I have with them. And I love to get out in nature myself. And I totally agree with you regarding the grounding I walk around barefoot outside quite a bit and I get a great feeling from doing so. And staying on that topic for a moment, I watched a very interesting TED talk a few days ago by a lady named, by the name of Nirupa Roy. And she started out with such an interesting uh, question. She showed a picture, a photograph of traffic in India. I don't know what city. And she said, you know, when you're sitting in a traffic jam, essentially, you can look around, you can probably name at least four or five of the brand of cars that are around you, so Toyota, Honda, et cetera. But she said, now look at the picture and look at the trees. How many of these can you name? And she said, you know, so often we relegate nature to the backdrop of life. And I don't know why, but that really like, it really hit home with me that how we, we walk through nature every single day, but it's relegated to the backdrop and not to the forefront of life. And I just feel like if we took a little bit more time to commune with nature, as you described, I think we would all be a little better off. Absolutely. And if I can add on that, um, a partner of ours, Matt, who uh, he, during his time at University of, of Alabama, he he was a plant technician. So a lot of times they did a lot of subsequent trials, a lot of different replications. And they noticed that when there were other scientists working with the same plants, oftentimes, um, those operators, those moving plants from seedling and then transplanting, planting it to a new system to grow throughout its entire harvest, if any time they were more aggressive or there was a lot of uh, physical, abrupt and aggressive movements with the plant, they did realize there was proof to show that those, those instances created shock to the plant and did create and it, it did inhibit their growth. Um, so there are certainly, you know, biochemical reactions that happen that we haven't really analyzed yet and perhaps don't really understand at the granular level to show that, you know, plants can respond to us. They take in a lot of external, um, you know, indicators that, that they can receive. We just haven't really even kind of scraped the surface of understanding perhaps how to optimize food, create more nutritious food by just really being more sensitive to their environment. So another interesting point is that, you know, we don't think of plants as sentient beings, mm. but um, I have a feeling that uh, we're going to learn a lot more about plants in the future. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so Tania, I'm going to take a hard right turn here. Can you give us an overview of renewable 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Renewable is an agricultural technology company that uses organic cycling science approach to decarbonize the global fertilizer supply chain, which currently contributes to 3% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. So ultimately, we take uh, produce waste that's unrecoverable residual from food manufacturers, distributors, and processors, and we turn it into controlled, water-soluble, organic hydroponic nutrients. And I know that's a mouthful, but ultimately the main thing that we really are committed to driving is to not only increasing the profitability of farms so that they're more incentivized and, and help supply more organic, zero chemically laden food, because that profitability is attractive, especially with them able to um, sometimes capture 66 to 82 percent um, higher margins, depending on the crop. We also seek to lower the carbon footprint of the farms using our product because we're able to reclaim the nutrients from localized waste streams. And we're really committed to displacing um, conventional mineral salts, which are the synthetic fertilizer substitute that a lot of these soilless, more sophisticated farms that use just water and right now mineral salts to grow food, but really want to use food waste and make it compatible for them to grow organically using that. Third, we're really trying to increase the nutrient density of our food. You know, it's my uh, dream. I, I come from two, um, you know, both of my parents' uh, parents, my grandparents, I should say, on both sides of my family had diabetes and a number of different limbs uh, were removed because of the severity of their condition. And I really wish for the day and committed to seeing the day where we can grow food where you know, uh, someone that has a dietary guideline of needing more potassium, for example, or more vitamin B or vitamin C, we're able to source that directly from the food instead of having to have additional supplements or having additional fortification involved in our processing. So that's what I'm really eager and excited and committed to. I think renewable is exciting for us because not only do we you know, really want to make the food supply chain more resilient and sustainable, but also we do that in a very close loop operation within our, our facility as well. So you're right. That is a mouthful. Something jumped out at me when you were speaking there. Unrecoverable vegetative waste stream. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So imagine, you know, a great example is we have, we work with a supplier where they take um, mixed vegetables and it's the same bag of vegetables that you can normally buy from your retail, your supermarket. So just a, a frozen bag of mixed vegetables normally sells for $3.50 or $4.99, depending on the unit size. They will have sometimes either food that is recalled or it's not of the same quality that they can sell to their customers. And in some cases, if it's too far to divert it to a composting facility or an anaerobic digester for processing, it's much more effective for us to take it because we can be closer proximity to these facilities and take that residual that, you know, it can't be sold to direct to consumers like you or myself, or let's say a food service company or easily given to a food bank or animal farm. So it's that residual that can't be recovered for food or animal usage, usage typically. And can you speak to your organic cycling method and then who your customers are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our organic cycling science, essentially that's our approach of recirculating nutrient water in a way that allows for the farms to use our nutrients that doesn't cause for the need to flush 
um, and I'll explain what that is shortly, doesn't cause the clogging risks, which are often associated with any time someone's trying to incorporate organics in a hydroponic or soilless system. And when I say organics, I'm thinking of compost tea, uh, fish emulsion, any other type of organic fertilizer that would be perfect for soil. But in a, in a hydroponic system, it can often be very disruptive and it often leads to buildup of mold. So in a, in a soilless farm, oftentimes they have to use mineral salts. So think of Epsom salts that you would use in your bathtub or at a spa. Um, they dissolve very quickly, but the plant, anything that isn't used by the plant can be toxic. And so a farm, after two weeks of applying the, these mineral salts, they'll have to dump out that water. And that's at the cost of taxpayers like you and myself and your municipal wastewater treatment plant to process that water and turn it back into potable water. And it's that if that water leaches into the environment, there's a risk there. So our goal is to essentially use reclaimed nutrients from a controlled, sterilized food waste stream that is effective for these soilless systems to be able to use as a nutrient source. And then who buys your product? Yeah, great question. So we sell basically direct to other soilless farms as well as distributors. A great example of some of the farms that you may have heard in the news, because there's been a, a surge in vertical farms, indoor growing, and just greenhouses in general. Um, some of these fa- farms are like Bright Farms, Gotham Greens, uh, but there's even other more uh, traditional greenhouses that have been operating for years, much longer than the more niche vertical farming industry, um, and then your traditional greenhouses. So those are great example of direct-to-farm um, customers. Others would be distributors, uh, such as American Hydroponics, that resell to those farms as well. So is your product a solid product? Good point. So before COVID, it was a solid product. Because of COVID, we we did have to completely rechange and redesign, I should say, our production plan because it forced us to be more prudent um, with the CapEx requirements. And so what we did was we we basically created a liquid uh, form of the organic hydroponic nutrient. But in about 12 months, we'll have a solid form of that the benefit to the farms of having a solid product is certainly the the effect cost effectiveness of shipping and storing a solid product. So that's always been the goal, but we had to do a, a slight detour due to COVID. Well, you mentioned COVID and it seems like you're quite successful during COVID. I saw an article that says you were a renewable was selected as Grow New York 2020 finalist. Can you share what that is? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, and thanks for recognizing that. Um, we haven't announced it yet, but we were lucky, especially during these times, um, and even more so now than than even now, uh, to close our seed round of $1 million. And then that also, you know, with the recent news about Grow and Why, that, that certainly helped with our momentum. So Grow and Why is a New York uh, state-based business competition challenge. Um, it's focused on creating more job opportunities, uh, and economic development within the state, but focused on food and agriculture exclusively. So we really sit in the sweet spot of, you know, helping provide a sustainable service and and more cost effective solution for the food waste 
um, uh, manufacturers, so more on the upstream, upstream or uh, higher up on the value chain, and then also the downstream customers, customers that I just mentioned. Um, but certainly on the waste recycling goals of New York State, they're trying to divert, I believe, if I recall correctly, 80% of their uh, zero waste goals um, by 2022, if I remember correctly. So we, you know, we kind of have so many different angles, which is why we're incredibly fortunate just to be working a part of something that can help municipalities, states, and countries not only reduce their carbon emissions, help increase their just domestic agricultural goals, because there's so much more to be done with food, and then also help with, you know, how can we create job, meaningful manufacturing jobs that have high impact and are here to stay? Well, congratulations on that win again. Can you share some of the challenges that your customers face when growing organically? Yeah, um, and that's why it took us about five to six years of R&D of just trying a number of different variables. So think of the challenge of incorporating just food waste, right? So food waste has it can vary in the food waste type. It can vary in the volume. So there was variability in our raw material. And so we really had to make sure that there was consistency with the supply and consistency of the nutrient concentration that the farms would receive because they really need reliability of what's going to be delivered as a food or nutrient source to the plants. So that's one. Two is anytime you're working with organics, it tends to clog what can be drip lines or a lot of times these water reservoirs because what's happening is in a soil environment, you could easily use compost tea because the soil is going to act as a buffer and you have microbes such as mycorrhiza and amongst others that can easily break it down and do the work for the roots to easily uptake these nutrients in an immediately available format. Whereas in a hydroponic or soilless system, you don't have those same synergies. So it lacks the, the microbes. It lacks the soil environment, which gives the time to break it down. You have much more need, a higher need for precision. And th that precision is driven by sophisticated nutrient dosing controllers, which automate the time, the frequency, and the amount of nutrients being delivered to the plant. So you really have to be... Um, diligent on how your plants are being set up, what their environmental controls are, and what you're delivering to it at each point in time, whether it's by roots or as a foliar um, application, which just means by the leaf. Um, the other problem that really kind of was prevalent with these types of farms is that they they didn't, they, there was a lot of risk and probably the most prevalent one. There's a lot of risk around how can it be um, removed or reduced from a risk mitigation standpoint for, related to food safety pathogens. So we've heard, you know, the national um, uh, concern around E. coli and salmonella, which has largely been concentrated, unfortunately, in some of the, the uh, farms that have been field-based on the West Coast. And, you know, I think they're still challenged in identifying that source, whether it's manure or other uh, points of contact within the supply chain, perhaps at the processing plant. But anytime you're working with, especially something that's manure derived, um, you, you, you really have to be sensitive to what was the processing controls related to pathogen kill steps. So organics can open up a diaspora of, um, or a trifecta is a better word, 
of risks. But what we've spent a lot of time and commitment with R&D, which was really during our bootstrapping days, um, is standardizing the food waste that we work with, making sure that we're creating a a water-soluble product so it's actually going to be consistent when applied in these farm systems. And third is making sure that it's comparable and results to the synthetic fertilizer, because ultimately we really want to see a day where organic food can be price competitive and perhaps potentially at price parity to conventionally grown food. You know, it's interesting, and I know it's another conversation, but you mentioned some of the challenges in the field when the E. coli, and I'm just going to leave it at, hopefully, some of those farmers will improve some of the conditions for their employees that are working out there. Agree. Totally agree. So I'm going to get to the crux of our conversation, which is the why behind what you're doing. What drives you? What motivates you? You've been, I think, running Renewable for about eight years, almost nine years now. What yeah. keeps you going? That's a good question. Um, and not in the sense of like, I've questioned it, but you know, and that's, it's really starting off with, you had asked earlier, what's kind of unique about me. I think a lot of the fact that I'm so curious about spirituality and, and really kind of, that's a defining point about me is um, that's what really helped me be grounded during some very trying, depressing times. And so I'll start off with, why I even started this. So back, I, I'm not an agriculturalist. I'm not a biologist by training. I actually majored in business information technology from Virginia Tech. So it's an ag engineering school, but didn't touch the plant for four years. Um, came up to New York City, worked, took the IT degree, worked in um, finance for a lot of the large um, banks at the time. This was right during the recession when Lehman Brothers had went down and then um, spent a lot, probably about four or five years doing pro bono um, uh, volunteer work with, I can't even remember, New York Cares. I apologize. New York Cares, um, nonprofit here in the city. And during that time, I was doing, I was running a prep SAT pro bono class on Saturdays. So from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m., you know, I really looked at and was observing what kids were bringing to for lunch or just to consume during those days because you've really got to make sure that you have all the right tools to stay up and try to keep these kids excited about a test that no one wants to take. And I felt what they were eating is a very kind of to their detriment of trying to retain information, be productive, and just really kind of be, you know, have the, the right type of, um, uh, uh, you know, just nutrition really largely plays a factor with attention levels and productivity. And what they were bringing to these classes were oftentimes not, not nutrient dense, not fresh, oftentimes um, processed and fried. And so looking at that, right, that was a direct observation of, well, I I really want to be able to change how people are eating and more specifically in our underserved communities, because in the bodegas, even in the supermarkets, they don't sell non-chemically laden food. They don't sell organic category. Um, and then combined with that other factor going on in the back channel where New York city was spending $186 million to export food waste at the time that China, Pennsylvania, Virginia, how can we take these two pretty salient challenges and enable more farms to increase and produce organically? So thereby increasing the organic produce supply and inherently the price can become uh, more affordable 
as a result of increased supply to others and hopefully more of these communities where they're not able to access it from an affordability standpoint. I will admit renewable will never be able to have as much impact perhaps as a nonprofit great example being New York Sunworks here in the city or even Harlem Grown, where they're actually working with kids to change their behaviors and become more educated to eat better. We That unfortunately is not in our real house of competencies, but we do want to make it easier for whether it's educators, nonprofits, community groups, and for-profit farms to grow organic in the same controlled, reliable ways as conventional so it can be completely price competitive with them. Ultimately, my personal and kind of just like my path here in this this time lifetime is to really kind of create healing for the environment, to create healing foods. And, and this is hopefully one path to uh, to execute on that. So two questions. As my as an interviewer, it's my job to push it a little harder. Why do you feel like it's important for you to heal the environment and those children that you were tutoring at the time, obviously what they were eating had a lot of impact on you. Why was that? Yeah. Um, I'll start off with the healing the environment. You know, I think there's a lot of, there's so many different technologies that don't get commercialized, but they came from an intention where it is solely for the good of all. So a great example being, um, I remember coming across encountering a student that came up with um, an absorbent. It was a natural absorbent, and I can't remember if he had used microbes or not. But during the time when we had these severe oil spills on, on the Gulf Coast, this absorbent was able to basically saturate and completely remove um, at least 80% of the oil that had been discharged. And a lot of times there aren't um, kind of like immediate kind of commercialization ways to get that out there at least from a for-profit's perspective. So if I could find ways to create a business model around that, so that is deployed more widely, you know, there's so many different applications and use cases where the environment, whether it's for algae remediation or other types of heavy metals or chemical discharges in in, um, fresh water, you know, I want to be able to accelerate that. But you don't see that often in the news, if at all. Um, And, you know, I think... I, I'm just not, I'm using my talents effectively for renewable, but I want to accelerate that so that there's so many other cases where people are solely having their noble kind of like energy being invested into a new technology, but aren't able to get it to market. And it really would help the environment to make sure that our kids have the same quality of life that we do. That's ultimately the main mission. And then kind of going back to the kids where I was directly teaching at Third Grade Marshall in Harlem. You know, I, they're already battling so many different disadvantages. So, you know, whether it's access to books and not having the same technology or tutors, tutors are huge. I mean, imagine how, how much better they would have had, a, uh, had performed on their SAT had they had a dedicated tutor, like more, you know, let's say better resourced families are able to provide. And if food can be the way to help them be more alert and therefore retain information and perform better, then that's, I feel, a lower hanging fruit that I wanted to be a part of. I appreciate you sharing that and staying with SATs for a moment. You know, this year there's been a pause, if you will, or a hold on colleges even accepting SATs. They're saying no problem. And again, 
totally another conversation, but I think that whole testing, SAT, standardized testing needs to be revisited anyway. So Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentor I mentor a girl through iMentor, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I um, we weren't sure, but I, I totally agree with you. You know, just so many inherent biases in those tests. Yeah, it's insane. It is. So nine years on this journey, you mentioned spiritual, you mentioned your why. What are some of the most valuable lessons that you would say you've learned about yourself? Mm. Um, I think for me, it's making sure that I'm consistent with relationships, and those are both personal and professional. I am transparent, always in intention, first and foremost, because um, I think people really appreciate that. And, and that's what has kept a lot of relationships, again, both personal and press, professional, as long as they have been. But more importantly, you know, I think just being able to talk about um, what I stand for and, and the authenticity of it, I think has even shocked me sometimes how many more people want to support me and, and, and renewal inherently because of that. And I, I don't ever really try to share my story with a goal in mind. It's just, you know, if I'm asked, of course, I'm going to share. But um, that aspect has become more resonant uh, in the last several years. And I, I think I would encourage more people to do that. Like if you need help with something with a business specifically, and you're not sure about the idea, talk about it, talk about all the questions you mentioned, Raj, or why, why you're committed to it, the mission. Um, and hopefully you realize it's not for a quick exit, right? It is truly genuine and hopefully helping others. Um, you know, I think a lot of people gravitate towards that. I agree. So speaking of mission, it's 2025. What does the future hold for Renewable? You know, the future holds um, many things. I, I, I hope by then we're, we have distributed facilities outside of New York. So second being in California, uh, third, fourth, and fifth, you know, that we've, we've gotten many kind of solicitations and inquiries to have a Renewable in, in other states. Um, and so there's something resonating there with municipalities of around circular economy, around how do we, you know, make use of what are ways that we can further strengthen agricultural economies. Um, but to move the needle a bit further, by 2025, we really want to enable, and probably even more so, international, um, you know, agricultural markets. So think of India, think of um, you know, Sen Senegalese and in parts of um, the Middle East, Dubai is a great example, where they're trying to increase their domestic production by at least 90%, sometimes by 2030, if not uh, by 2050. And we want to be able to help them contribute to that by using their food waste to also help them reduce or eliminate their dependence on imported synthetic conventional fertilizer. So by doing that, and that would involve us having distributing our product uh, to their to their um, markets and creating processes where they can take their food waste and productize it the same way we do it here. But it allows them to create jobs that are inherent to their their local economy and also use waste resources that are local to their economy as well. And that that all varies very greatly market to market. So I think, you know, there's certainly more impact beyond the U.S. Uh, by 2025. Now it's just a matter of how quickly. Well, you painted a beautiful picture, and I look forward to seeing it come to fruition. 
Thank you. So last question. And you know, earlier you mentioned consistency and you mentioned transparency. So for those listening, that's advice too. But if you could share some specific words of advice or wisdom with the audience, it can be professional or personal, what would it be? I, you know, I always mess up this line, but it's always around the notion of sending the elevator back down, which just means um, if you're fortunate and if you've been given the access to resources, to relationships, networks, fill in the blank, please always remember to send it back down to others that don't have the same privilege because I'm, I'm a firm believer of whatever I'm doing has to have an impact for the greater good. And everyone needs to have that, I think. Everyone should have that intention inherent to everything that they do. And I think it's just for our own survival, right? Like we are reaching the limits. And I don't think some people have come to their own reckoning about it. And I, I think that's the quickest and easiest and lowest hanging fruit everyone can do for that. Sending elevator back is great advice. You know, I've so enjoyed speaking with you. Is there anything that I should have asked that I did not? No, you know, I think if anyone, yeah, so th- those of your listeners, if, if this is certainly of interest, we, we definitely try to democratize some of our own insights. Um, you can learn from it by joining our newsletter at our website at uh, renewable.com, R-E-N-U-B-L-E.com. Um, and then just following us, you know, a lot of times I try to uh, reshare other opportunities within the ag space. So it's certainly worth following just to even see how, if you're interested in this career, um, you know, how else you can be a part of it. Well, speaking of that, can you speak to your lunch series for a minute? Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so we actually had to reschedule this earlier, the one this week, but the next one will be on November 7th. So it's the upcoming Wednesday. I apologize, November 4th. And that's going to be, um, on our technology, which is our onsite food waste recovery system for soilless farms. But then the idea behind the 30 minute, um, quick lunch webinars is to just give quick insight of what we've learned, um, what we've kind of developed, uh, how it kind of answers to the market challenges that we've witnessed to date. And then it's a very quick format to answer a quick Q&A at the end. Um, but it, uh, it's, it's meant to be quick and dirty so that people don't feel distracted during their very precious lunchtime. Well, I will put links to your website and the lunch series in the show notes. Tania, I've so enjoyed speaking with you and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Likewise. Thank you so much, Raj. Thank you. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.